World's Finest Podcast, episode 45. As always, I'm Michael Sims, and with me is James Doe. How are you, sir? Doing very, very well, as I have been quite for about the last month or so. So <laughs> That's very good to hear. <laughs> Someone just celebrated a birthday, I hear. Yes, and i got to say, it was infinitely better than my 25th birthday. So <laughs> I actually got stuff, and uh, you know, I have Aaron, and so, yeah, life is good right now. So, I mean, I got, I've got no complaints whatsoever. Trust me, there's always things to complain about. <laughs> now, you're probably wondering why that ended so abruptly. Allow me to explain. First, James and I, we were a little short on time, so we had decided that we were going to put off the reading of emails until the next episode. No big deal. We've done that before. However, we bantered for a little longer than what you just heard, maybe just like another two or three minutes. The problem is, is I've been having major issues, and I mean major issues, with the recording software I use for World's Finest Podcast, Bigger on the Inside, and Earth2.net, the show. So those extra two or three minutes that James and I recorded were very corrupted. It sounded like I was talking with my fist in my mouth. All of you can keep the jokes to yourself. Seriously, it sounded like I was talking like this the whole time, and that was just completely unusable, so I just scrapped it and decided to record this little bit explaining what happened, apologizing for the abrupt ending, and then we would all move along together to our reviews. It's some sort of cavern or cave, but what it really is is a bizarre museum. A museum filled with mementos of a nearly forgotten crusade against crime. Its chief curator is this man. You know him as Batman, but he has another identity, one that I'll reveal tonight on The Inside Peak. Shway. But that's not all. You'll also see the face of Batman's mysterious friend, and you'll find out what part he played in Gotham's greatest secret. A once-in-a-lifetime event. Only here, only tonight. Hello? It's me. There's this thing on the web. I know. They've been running it twice an hour since before dawn. How did he... He planted a camera in the Batmobile. No. I just found it. Then it's my fault. It's all my fault. I always assumed I'd be found out sooner or later. It's just galling that a piece of garbage like Peak had to be the one. And first up today, we have Sneak Peek. Uh, the episode starts with this uh, sleazy TV tabloid show guy, kind of like, uh, you know, like an Inside Edition type show. Uh, and this guy named Ian Peek uh, is showing secret videos of celebrities uh, performing illegal or otherwise immoral acts. And the guy is garnering huge ratings for it. Well, one of the people shown is actually Paxton Powers, who seems to be something of an afterthought in this show, but I digress. <laughs> we'll get to that in a minute or two. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, Terry is watching the broadcast at home, and Matt uh, shows up behind him and wants to see the show, but he's like, no, it's not for you. <laughs> and uh, 
their you know Mary turns the TV off when she sees what they're watching because you know it's trash TV. But uh, back at the studio, uh, stagehand there asks uh, Ian how he gets these videos, and he simply says trade secret. Well. That night, an informant against an Asian crime syndicate is being escorted to Sam Young's office, but uh, a strange glowing figure that can phase through walls sneaks in behind them. I wonder who might, that might be. <laughs> uh, he, he starts recording the secret conversation between Sam and the informant, and uh, you know, uh, Young thinks he, he sees something, but the guy phases away through the wall. And the guy eventually ends up punching a guard, and so the guard sounds an alarm, which... Batman uh, gets uh, wind to in the Batmobile, and uh, he flies over to City Hall and tries to subdue the guy, but he can't even land a punch on him at all. So they eventually make their way to some, I guess, a chemical factory or something, and uh, the guy like causes a huge explosion by setting a fire, uh, setting fire to like a tube of chemicals and stuff. And Batman's knocked out, and the guy who is, of course, revealed to be uh, Ian Peek leaves with the video. Well, the next day in physics class, Terry is actually paying attention to his teacher and gets some information about uh, the vibration of solid molecules and whatnot. And he starts discussing it with Bruce later on. And Bruce reveals that there is this uh, Wayne Power scientist who had a theory of being able to phase through solid molecules uh, by vibrating them in some kind of specific way. I don't remember what he said about it, but... Terry wonders what the guy would want with uh, the informant at City Hall, to which Bruce replies that the scientist died in a fire years ago, so it obviously could not be him. Uh, so the next day, Terry goes to the studio uh, as Batman after seeing Ian Peek on TV in a, I guess it was the subway car or something, because uh, he, he was revealing the video of the informant. Well, the informant and uh, two of his little posse bust in and try to kill Peek, but he escapes uh, into a closet while Batman subdues them, and Batman goes to look in the closet, and he's disappeared, which pretty much confirms that he's the guy. Well, he goes, he leaves to go back to the Batcave, but Peek has secretly placed a camera inside the Batmobile, and he finds out the truth about Bruce Wayne and Terry. So Terry wakes up the next day, and Matt busts into his room telling him that Batman is on TV, and he gets out of bed immediately and it's, he's shown for a preview of the show that peak is going to reveal the true identity of Batman and his accomplice, uh, on the show later tonight. So Bruce calls Terry and they discuss what they can possibly do. But since peak's only real crime in this instance is being an irredeemable douchebag, it really isn't much. So Terry goes to see peak at the studio as Batman where peak is having what is shown to be, uh, some kind of chronic abdominal pain. So he takes his pills and Terry shows up and, he pleads for the guy to leave Bruce out of it, but Pete pretty much just laughs at him and mocks him. So that night, Terry is pacing in his house while Mary and Matt get ready for the big reveal, and Terry just blurts out that he is Batman, and they pretty much just laugh their asses off at him. Um, so back at the studio, Ian is having a really, really bad stomach ache, and he takes his jacket off, and it's revealed that he is starting to lose his physical form from using this belt so much that causes him to become invisible and intangible. So back at Terry's house, it's revealed that the show is being postponed due to technical difficulties, and Terry calls Bruce, but he isn't at the in the cave or at the manor. So we next see Bruce actually entering Peak's studio, uh, demanding to know why Peak called him there. Peek shows uh, his rapidly ge- degenerating body, and Bruce refuses to help him. He then pieces it together that Peek killed the scientist years ago who created the phasing belt and took it for his own selfish ends. 
Uh, Peek attacks Bruce and tries to throw him off the balcony, but uh, Terry swoops in and knocks him away, and Peek picks up a gun, but the gun actually falls through his hand because now his physical form is completely gone, and he starts to sink through the floor, and he falls through floor after floor after floor until finally he just disappears, and Bruce figures that he just sank to the center of the earth, and that's where it ends. Okay, before we get into the episode, I just have to say one thing. You know, those guys named Ian, man... They're just trouble. (laughs) (laughs) The whole time I was watching this episode, I was like, hmm, how many Ian jokes can we make during this recording? (laughs) Especially because he had that kind of Robin Leach accent. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, anyways, okay. Truly, the first thing I want to say about this episode is I like the little shot the producers took at themselves in regards to Paxton Powers. It's sort of like, hey, and here's Paxton Powers. Remember him? Because we don't. Let's move on. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it was it was funny that they made fun out of themselves because they were very clearly doing it. it. What did they say? Something like, we haven't heard much from him since he first appeared on the scene. And then they just cut to him being a playboy, basically. And, yeah. you know, philandering with all these women. And for a second, I thought the episode was going to be about him. And then he never comes back. And I was like... Oh, yeah, they were really just taking the piss out of themselves. That was pretty good. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. Now, while we're on the topic of Paxton, what was it exactly that he was doing that was so bad? Because they showed the boxing promoter uh, basically fooling around with the champ's wife. Okay. We then see the rock star being a splicer, which we know is against the law. Okay. But then they show Paxton, I used the term earlier, just being a playboy. What was wrong with, is, is Paxton married? Uh, I don't remember them ever saying he had a wife and kids or anything. So what's wrong with him just fooling around with, with random women at parties? I, I so did not get why that was supposed to be scandalous. Don't know. I might, there might have been a piece of dialogue I missed. but there, there was, Trust me, there was nothing. Really? There, there was nothing. It was seriously like, here's Paxton Powers. Remember him? Blah, 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 blah. Look, he's flirting with the ladies. Oh, no. That, that was it. Yeah, that was really it. I mean, I, I was trying to really remember if they had said he had a wife and kids, because then I would understand what they were getting at. Mm-hmm. But I don't remember them mentioning Paxton having a family when they uh, introduced him the last time we saw him. Yeah, I don't think he does. So uh, what are your thoughts about this one? There are parts of it I like. There are parts of it I don't like. I think I might be just giving this kind of an average grade, uh, but... I, I, I like that uh, – one thing I did like was that Terry is using his teachers as a way to garner information that he can use as Batman. It kind of shows that he's maturing and getting used to the role. So mm-hmm. I did – I dug that. Um, but one thing I do have to ask is, you know, Bruce refused to help somebody. Now, I know the guy is, a, is an irredeemable douchebag, but that's Batman refusing to save somebody's life. Yeah, I'm I'm right there with you. I mean, Bruce doesn't like this guy. You know, he flat out says, I knew one day I'd be exposed. I just wish it wasn't at the hands of, uh, what, did, what did he call it? Piece of garbage. Uh, yeah, yeah, he just didn't want it to be by someone like him. So when he shows up, you know, Bruce doesn't know what to expect. And it turns out the guy's saying, help me, help me, help me. You know, you understand why Bruce doesn't want to help him. But again, as you said, it's Bruce Wayne. This is the guy who's tried to save the Joker 
of all people. And he's not going to try to save this guy. It did seem a little out of character. I mean, some people might try to claim, you know, this is a Bruce that's 40, 50 years older than the Bruce we're used to from uh, BTAS and Gotham Knights and even Justice League. Maybe he slightly changed his stance on helping people and killing because Terry's had some questionable actions that Bruce hasn't really called him on. Correct. Yeah. So maybe he's changed his stance on it a little and he's starting to think maybe there are some people that just aren't worth saving, but they never outright state that. So we have to think Bruce is still in the same mentality that we know him to have. So, you know, to, to shorten that down. Yes, you're right, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> Glad we got around to that. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but what about you, though? I mean, what do you think about this episode? You know, this episode, it's, for me, it's average at best, maybe a little below. You know, I could see what they were going for, and I thought the general concept on paper was good, but in execution, I don't think it was as good as it could have been, um, mainly because I thought there was a bit of filler. It ends up, as you said, getting to the point where uh, Ian tries to blackmail Terry and Bruce. That's essentially what he's trying to do. But he could have done it like five minutes before he did because he puts the device, the camera, in the Batmobile, and that's how he gets the information on Terry and on Bruce, correct? Right. But if you remember, when uh, Terry, as Batman, first encountered the invisible, intangible man before you know he knew it was this Ian fellow... Terry got knocked out during that fire. He got thrown against a wall or something, and Ian just walked right past him. And I literally wrote on my notes, why didn't he take Batman's mask off? Because, okay, you know, we're not dumb. We know that this is Ian, the reporter. Yeah. Even though he hasn't taken the mask off at that point yet, we know who it is. So why didn't he take it off, take Batman's picture, and go from there to try to blackmail this guy or get higher ratings? And then they just wait five minutes to do what he could have done like three scenes earlier. That right there was irksome because that makes, like I said, that five minutes, and maybe it's not five minutes, maybe it's three, maybe it's six, I don't know. But it makes that time seem like filler. Yeah, well, I mean... To me, I don't know. I, I, I don't know. Maybe maybe I'm overanalyzing that. But it's like, if he had the chance to do it, why didn't he do it? If that's ultimately what he was going to do, if you see my point. Well, I agree, because to that point, before... He even knocks Batman out. I thought that fight took way too long. How many times did he punch him and and punch through his body? At least 20. <laughs> I mean, it was ridiculous. You're not going to hit him, Terry. Just stop. And something else that was really bothering me about this one was at one point, Terry says, hey, why can't we arrest this guy? Let's let's get the authorities in on this. And Bruce is like, what has he done? Exactly. Um, you know, Terry says trespassing, and Bruce just looks at him like that's not enough. No, he recorded a private conversation between the district attorney and an informant. Think about that. He interfered with an that's... official police investigation and assaulted a police officer. Yeah, like, you, you could kind of get him on that. It, it goes beyond trespassing or breaking and entering or whatever you want to call it. That bothered me so much. I was just like, oh, my God, Bruce. In your old age, have you just lost it? Do you, do you, do you not know the laws anymore? <laughs> I mean, 
Oh, if there was one episode where I really wanted Barbara Gordon to show up and just put a bullet in someone's head, it was this one. I just wanted her to go after this guy and be like, you spied on my husband, you idiot. You know? Yeah. Did you not think that we weren't going to, or did you think we weren't going to catch you? Exactly. That's another thing I, that pisses me off about this episode. Why was Barbara Gordon not there to ream this guy for recording that conversation? Uh, what else do you want to say about this one? In the beginning of the episode, um, when Terry is watching TV, when they first show the first camera pan that shows his face, that look on his face was classic. It was like a 12 year old seeing his first pair of breasts. His eyes didn't blink. His mouth was hanging open. It was, I'm serious. Go back and look at it. It's like a 12 year old that got his hand on a Playboy. Um, yeah, I gotta say, I'm probably gonna lower this grade, this grade a point. I have it, I had it pretty much right straight down the middle, but. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this it's just it's not horrendous. It's just poorly executed. See, another thing I want to bring up that, in my opinion, hurt this episode just a little was how quickly Tong showed up to the studio with a bazooka. Mm-hmm. OK, so this this Ian fellow, he airs this footage of Tong talking to the district attorney. They go off the air. Maybe two minutes later, Tong's running into the studio armed with a bazooka. Yeah. Where was Tong with the bazooka at the ready? You know what I mean? Was he just walking down the street and happened to pass a television store that was airing, you know, Inside Peak? And, oh, here, look at this. Oh, let's go use this bazooka I've got strapped to my back to blow up Ian. It just, it, it, I, I just seriously couldn't wrap my head around it. I mean, it was so stupid. If, if, if Ian would have been like walking out of the studio and it was like a drive-by bazooka-ing, then I could have like accepted it. But he runs into the studio with a big bazooka. It was sort of like last time when that guy pulled that bazooka out of his jacket. Yeah. Like, how are you hiding that in there? Oh, oh it, should, it should be noted the guy's name was Jimmy Lin, not Tong. Tong was the name of the, the group that he was testifying. The gang. Sorry. That's right. I forgot okay, about whoops. that. Sorry. <laughs> there, was, there was one other flub that I wanted to bring up that actually is a mistake, I believe, but in the grand scheme of things can be justified. In the scene where Bruce, I think it was, yes, it was Bruce, was talking to Ian, there's a shot where Ian's eyebrows are there, but if you actually look, they haven't been colored in. So you can see the background behind him, but when you think about what's happening to him, yeah, it doesn't come off like a mistake. But I'm chalking it up as a mistake because... The, the the problems that he's having are starting at his midsection and working their way outward. Mm-hmm. It's not like he's missing a finger here, part of his face here. It's all starting in one space. So it's funny that they screwed something up, but in a way you could sort of justify it. Yeah. But you know what? For all my gripes about this episode, I, I will say that this looked really good. Well, half I, the animation effects that they would need. Exactly. I mean, if you were going to try to do something like this, you had to have your A-team on this. And I really do feel that animation-wise, special effects-wise, when it comes to Ian, you know, that they truly just nailed this one and knocked it out of the park. And for the most part, I think all of the episodes this week looked good. I'm saying that hesitantly because I'm trying to think ahead. I have uh, an animation like negative note for a future episode in our okay. WFP today, but that we'll get to that later. Much as I would relish hunting you, this time I seek a different prey. Yeah, right. He's telling the truth. 
Bennett. He's working for us now, Batman. Tracking a man named Falseface. Falseface? An agent for hire who can change identities the way most people change clothes. He's working for Cobra. It's a powerful, ultra-secret organization that uses cutting-edge technology for extortion and terrorism. If we don't pay a ransom of 10 billion credits, they've threatened to release a deadly supervirus. You're kidding, right? I wish. Last week, Cobra tested the virus on an island off the coast of Saint-Denis. The result? Total biological devastation. Crops, livestock, everything. It wasn't pretty. Falseface's job was to smuggle the virus into Gotham, so we turned to the only man who could track him down. The stalker agreed to help us. Unfortunately, we were too late. By the time I picked up his trail, Falseface had passed the virus container off to a high school student. Time is running out. If we can't find Falseface in the next hour, we're going to have 12 million people in our hot zone. Next up is Plague. In this one, there's a new terrorist group on the loose that is called Cobra. And they plan to release a deadly, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Plague. Uh, <laughs> the hell you say. And the way they're going to do this is they have to smuggle the uh, the plague into the country. And they've conveniently done so by sneaking it into Nelson's bag uh, when Nelson is coming back from like Cancun or the Bahamas or wherever he's coming from. He, of course, he goes through customs. They check his bag. The uh, the security guy pulls out the vial and he's like, what's this? And Nelson's like, I don't know. Someone must have put it in my bag while I was taking a shit. And the guy's like, you left your bag unattended? And Nelson's like, come on, the stall was small, dude. What was I supposed to do? So this guard, he takes the vial from Nelson and he's like, just be careful next time. And he tells him to get out of there. And uh, he just sort of closes his station and walks away. Uh, meanwhile, Nelson meets up with Terry, Dana, and was it Blade? Uh, no, it was Chelsea. Chelsea, that's right. And uh, they're all hanging out and they're, they're leaving the airport. And uh, while they're heading down the steps, who should jump them but the should-be-dead stalker? Uh, you know, Terry at first, of course, thinks that the stalker is going after him. And stalker even gives him this sly little smile like, yeah, you're next on my list, boy. But he's not going after Terry. He's actually going after Nelson for some odd reason. Uh, Terry's able to sneak away to change into his Batman outfit. He and Stalker get into a fight. It ends up uh, in the warehouse where the security guard had taken the uh, vial with the plague in it. And, uh, you know, they're all fighting. This is all going on. And Stalker's all like, look, you know, as much as I want to hunt you, I'm not actually here to kill you. I'm here uh, uh, to, to stop a deadly plague. Terry's not having it. And uh, it turns out that Stalker is telling the truth, and Terry finds this out because the weather wizard, I mean, Bennett, shows up. <laughs> <laughs> this time without his glasses and not searching for Zeta. And he says, no, he's telling the truth. And Bennett fills Terry in on the situation, you know, that being the Cobra, that Cobra wants uh, to, to destroy Gotham with this uh, small vial. And they said, you know, uh, Bennett says the only way... Uh, 
we could find this guy Falseface who can change his identity was to hire the best tracker in the world, and that was Stalker. So basically, they let him out of jail. So from that point, Stalker and uh, Batman have to team up. There's a real uneasy alliance between the two to track down not only Cobra, but also Falseface and try to stop this plague. So, thoughts on this one? I, I like this episode. I mean, it, and that's just a thing with me. I generally like it when arch nemeses have, are forced to team up, and you mm-hmm. know, I don't think this one disappointed. Um, I, th- I thought there were some really good action sequences. Like, the animation was awesome. Um, and I tell you the truth, I don't have many notes, and most of my notes are just kind of like, uh, that was kind of funny, or, oh. <laughs> you notice that kind of notes, you know, the first one being how the fuck did Nelson survive that fall? We didn't say exactly what Stalker did to him. I shouldn't say we, I should say I. He, he's got his his bow staff and he, he what he he he's got Nelson captured. Right? Shirt, yeah, right. And he he's climbed up to the top of the building with him and he's got him at the end of this bow. And Nelson's like, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't know what you're talking about. What plague? What plague? And Stalker like pulls his bow back and Nelson falls several stories into a car and it's just like, I'm okay. I'm okay. Like what? No, no, we're not. We'll be seeing you in a couple episodes with that guy who fixes, uh, paralysis victims, you know, (laughs) another one here is, um, I thought it was kind of funny when they were in, when they first come upon like Cobra's little hideout there. The dude actually said Cobra Command. Yes. I was like, oh, my God, is he going to say Cobra Commander? Oh, he only said Cobra Command. Oh, well, but, yeah, I felt that was a little a little something mm-hmm. for, you know, fans of cartoons of the 80s. Oh, yeah. yeah. That was nice. Yes, us, us children of the 80s. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I did like, very much liked Cobra's plan. To Because I, I forgot to mention this during my synopsis, and I apologize for that. It wasn't just that they were going to release the plague in the city just by dropping the vial. They were going to coat all of the credits with them. And then, you know, if, if I hand you one of the credit cards or whatever they're called, you know, now you've got the plague. And next time you hand it off, that person's got the plague and so on and so forth. I'm like, that is a genius, villainous plan. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, that's kind of fucking scary. Like, I don't know if you could do that with, you know, a real world contagion, but if you could, wow, because you would totally fuck over the world economy in a heartbeat if you did something like that. Yep. And it's, it wouldn't just be, it's not like it'd be confined to Gotham City. Those credits are going to go mm-hmm. all over the, the country. Within 24 hours, the world is destroyed. Up to that point, I was thinking the episode was sort of below average. And then when that plan was revealed, I was like, it just got a bonus point right there. Seriously, I was I was I was amazed that they came up with that. Yeah, I also like the false face character just for w- when he gets punched. Yeah, yeah, it was like very clayface ish in a way. I was trying to think when he first gets punched in the face by Terry. Um, mm-hmm. his, God, his the look of his face reminded me of another character we've seen in the DCAU, but I can't remember who it was. Are you talking about when he became his true self with the big eye and the yeah. kind of real ugly face? Yeah. Um. I do want to say there was someone we've seen like that, but I can't remember either. Oh, was it a mobster? It might have been. No, it might have been in Superman, but I I don't remember. But I that I don't know. It's like that character, that facial model has been used at some point. But yeah, I I do know what you're saying there, but I can't place it. 
Um, in regards to Falseface's name, I actually had to look this up. I actually thought Falseface was a Dick Tracy villain. But when I looked it up, it turned out, no, he's a long-time Batman villain. And I think he was actually on the Adam West Batman TV show. Really? Um, yeah. I don't think he had Clayface-like morphing powers. I think he just wore masks or something, sort of like Spider-Man's chameleon mm-hmm. uh, villain. Um, but yeah, false face. It really just seemed like Dick Tracy to me. And when I looked it up, I was like, oh, no, that's that's a Batman guy. I mean, it was created by Bill Finger, the sadly uncredited co-creator of Batman. Um, so, yeah, it's a Batman guy. Mm-hmm. Did you notice, like, when uh, when they first, uh, they being Batman and uh, Stalker, first jump, they start fighting the uh, people in, in the Cobra hideout, uh, when Stalker hurls his spear, it looks like it pierces that guy right through the chest. Oh, no, I didn't notice that, did it? When I was watching, I was like, holy shit, he threw that through that guy's <laughs> chest. But no, it was just through his gun. But the way everything was positioned, it was like, holy shit, he just impaled that guy. <laughs> oh, is that when, didn't he throw his spear at someone and the gun exploded? Yeah, that's what happened. Is is that the scene? Yeah. It was, okay. just looked like he uh. threw it right through the guy's heart. <laughs> I mean, and with Stalker, you, you, you probably would. <laughs> Yeah, hell, if the gun blew up in his hand, uh, <laughs> he might not have walked away anyways. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, See, I, I think what it boils down to with this one is, you know, even though it looked really good and I liked what they did with the stalker and I love the villainous plan, it lacked the tension that a story like this should have. It's not just Gotham that's going to be infected. It is the whole world. There's this huge terrorist plot, this plague oh my God, are we going to find this guy who can change his face? Can't we stop the terrorist group at the same time? You know, there's a certain amount of drama you expect from that kind of story. Yeah, that's a 24-type story. <laughs> exactly, I was thinking that. <laughs> <laughs> okay, you know, James, I don't know if you have watched 24. I myself have only watched one season, the, the previous season, the sixth season. And even though I was liking the show, I, it did feel padded. Like, in the middle. Like, this didn't need to be 24 hours. This could have been, like, 12. And I felt like this episode was one of the episodes in the middle of 24. Where I see what they're going for. I get the overall evil scheme. Yeah, it's cool. But let's get to the real action and the real drama. And let's have Jack Bauer beyond show up. (laughs) That's what I was hoping for. (laughs) It just, it just didn't have the tension that it should have. Turns out she's not stealing just any rubies. They're all part of a set she stole once before. And now that she's out of prison, she wants them back. So much for rehabilitation. Ma's very determined, and that makes her and her boys very dangerous. Your ride's on its way. I'll meet it on the roof. Blade. Here, you take him. Blade, you can't just... I didn't realize how much it cried. Besides... I have a date with Jurgen tonight. We can't exactly take the thing along, can we? But I had it all day, and I've got something important to do. I don't care. And next up today is the Egg Baby. In this episode, uh, we see this very large woman and her very inbred-looking sons uh, breaking into this mansion to steal Ruby from the safe. Uh, Well, the next day, Bruce reveals to Terry that it's Mother Mayhem, and... And she apparently only steals certain rubies and absolutely nothing else. Well, Terry then jets off to a family studies class uh, 
the assignment that will save or doom his grade in the gl- in the class is taking care of this computerized egg baby computer thing that monitors how the students treat it. Um, like, and it, for example, if it's dropped on the ground, you fail instantly. Well, Blade and Terry are uh, randomly paired up, and Blade makes Terry take care of the thing, even though it was her turn to take it for the night. Well, this means that Terry has to take the thing along with him as Batman. So he quietly monitors Mother Mayhem and her boys uh, on the edge of this building until the egg baby cries and alerts them to his presence. Well, the huge dumb guy attacks Batman, but he uh, he manages to fend him off and keep the egg baby safe. So the next day, uh, Blade again refuses to take uh, the egg baby, while all the other couples are quite happy with their babies, Uh, you know. I think Howard and Dana got paired up, and then uh, Max and Nelson got teamed up, and they're actually, yeah. Yeah, we'll get to that in a few minutes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, anyway, Bruce is uh, none too pleased about this egg baby thing, but he won't take care of it long enough for Terry to go stop Mother Mayhem. So, again, he has to go out as Batman to stop them uh, holding on to the egg baby, uh, and he has to go to a museum to stop them this time. So... He leaves the egg baby on the roof while he uh, fights the three of them, but they knock him out, and they get to the roof and take off with the egg baby in tow because the thing that Terry hid it in was actually their car, their flying car in disguise. Uh, So they escape, and Bruce tells Terry that because the egg baby is a computer, he can use the Batmobile to track it, and he does so, and he finds the group about to drop it out of a window because it won't stop crying. Oh, God. Terry saves it and stops stops them and saves the day, and the next day he gets an A in the class because his baby was stimulated the most and had the most fun. Well, and Terry is embarrassed because Dana looks at him and she wants some bad. <laughs> oh, God. Um, I love this episode. I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, I knew it. I knew it. Uh, okay, let me let me just say, I don't hate this episode, I hate the idea of this episode. I think this episode was executed much better than it had any right to be. You know, there's those episodes that look great on paper, and then when you, you know, actually animate them and get them out there, they they kind of fail. Mm -hmm. This is the exact opposite. On paper, this had no right to succeed. But when you watch it, you kind of can't help but smirk. Yeah. And maybe chuckle at a few points. That doesn't mean I'm going to give this one a favorable grade. <laughs> it just means the grade isn't as low as it was going to be. There were a couple of points where I was sitting there with my arms crossed like, I don't want to like this one. Oh, shit, that was a little funny. <laughs> no, 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 I don't want to like this one. Oh, God, I just laughed. You know, it, it was one of those ones. Well, see, this is a good comedy episode, I think. You know, because yeah, we've, dis- we've always discussed where they have these episodes just thrown in the middle of a season where they just they don't take anything seriously. They just want to have fun with an episode, like a Mixie's Pixelated. Or, you know, the episode where Batman has to sing in front of the crowd because Cersei <laughs> forces him to. You know, stuff like that. Uh, this little piggy, this little piggy think, Thank right? you, yeah. yeah. Stuff like that. And I think this one succeeded in just in every way, really. I think this kind of episode was needed because of the episode that we have coming up next. Yeah. Talking about April Moon, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Ooh, I mean, we'll we'll say some things about April Moon when we get there, obviously. But you needed an extremely lighthearted episode like this before we got to April Moon and the way that one ended. Yeah, I mean, this episode won an Emmy Award, so, I mean... Yes. As, as weird as that might be, I mean, I I can't uh, 
disagree with that because I think it is it was a really fun episode. Um, and it was funny because I hadn't seen this episode, and Aaron and I were talking about it, and she loves this episode too because of just because of how bizarre it is. But and uh, she loves the. She loved the reference to the Wizard of Oz there, which I thought was kind of cute. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah. Where what exactly happens? Bruce says she's only stealing rubies, and Terry Terry's like, "What? What would she want with all with just rubies? Yeah, oh, she's not going to make slippers out of them." It's like, yeah. Bruce. <laughs> Before he... and Bruce's like, oh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> There's just so many priceless moments in this episode. Yeah, you, you keep talking about this one because here's the thing. I don't want it to come across like I hate this episode. So I'm a little reluctant to say much about it. You know, it's just, I don't know. It's, it's, it's fun, but uh, there's a part of me that doesn't want to like it. You know what I'm saying? And I, as we're talking about it, just hearing you say little things, it's like, I can feel my score going up and I'm like, no, I don't want this to happen. <laughs> If I didn't know any better, I'd swear that you you were uh, coming across like this was a Tim Burton directed episode or something. <laughs> no, not quite. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, just I'm going to rattle off several moments that I loved in this episode. Terry, is there something you need to tell me? <laughs> no, no, Bruce, I did not father a child. <laughs> yeah, Melanie comes back. Yeah, there's something I need to tell you, Terry. He's called the Two of Spades. <laughs> <laughs> oh Jesus. <laughs> I do have to ask something here, and this isn't just directed at you, James. This is directed to everybody who listens to World's Finest Podcast. Literally, I want an email from every listener. I want thousands of emails, okay? Do high schools really do this? I don't think I remember my high school doing this, giving out dolls or eggs or bags of flour or whatever that you had to take care of for a family planning like class. Well, I mean, did you see this in your high school? Um, yes, actually I did. Uh, when I was in 11th grade, I believe there were some people in my drama group that had to do it uh, for a home ec class. And I want to say that Aaron said that somebody that they had it in her high school too. Okay. Cause I, I honestly don't recall if that was done in our high school. So, okay, obviously, guys, here, there was a bit of an edit. I had to call Jenny into the room to clear something up. In high school, did any of our classmates have to do that family planning assignment where they carried around a baby doll or an egg or a bag of sugar or something? Mm -hmm. They did do that in our high school? There was a child development class. Okay, because that's in one of the Batman Beyond episodes we're talking about. Uh, as Terry's fighting crime, he has to carry around this, like, robotic computerized egg. Thing that cries all the time. And I was saying, I didn't remember anybody in our school ever having to do that. They had cabbage patch heads on them. <laughs> what were they? Yeah. I mean, were, they, were they were they cabbage patch dolls? Or were they just things with, I don't know, did they just get a sack of something and put a head on it? I have no idea. I just remember the cabbage patch heads. That is odd. Okay, yeah. thank you. Welcome. Okay. <laughs> bye, Jim. <laughs> oh, Jim says bye. Bye. <laughs> Okay, well, I guess that clears that up. <laughs> I just don't remember a lot of high school, I guess. <laughs> uh, oh, well. Um, you know, speaking of the egg baby itself, the I'm sorry, I love the facial expressions on that thing. Every Just every scene they're in, especially when the, the big oaf is sneaking up on Batman and it goes, oh! 
Yeah, yeah. It saves him twice, doesn't yeah. it? When the big O is doing it, and when uh, what was her name, Ma Mayhem, at the end was sneaking up on him. I think the baby makes a face then too that Terry sees. Yeah. <laughs> oh, okay. For you know, for the fact that I'm not crazy about this one, I, I will admit my favorite part of this one was the hovercraft El Camino. <laughs> that was just like so inspired. I have to tell yeah. you. Because <laughs> <laughs> so, I'm sorry, but a, a character like Mother Mayhem, yeah, she would be in that thing. Yeah, exactly. Oh, God. I saw that and I'm like, wait, is that a low-riding pickup truck? I'm like, no, it's an El Camino. Oh, my God. It's a flying El Camino. I totally flipped out. And then I started doubting myself. I, I went back to my original thought that it might have been a poorly drawn pickup. But then I listened to the commentary track and uh, Will Friedel had said that it was a, a, an El Camino. And everybody else that was in the room with him agreed that it was. They didn't correct him and say it was a truck. So I was like, awesome. <laughs> Speaking of Mother Mayhem, um, mm-hmm. Bruce has an awesome, awesome line, mm-hmm. and it really just mm-hmm. takes the piss out of you know comic bookdom, and where he says, you know, her, they called her Mother Mayhem. It was the golden age of alliteration. Yeah, and I, I like how he throws that golden age in there. Mm-hmm. That was seriously the producers of the show saying, okay, we have to acknowledge that too many comic book characters have uh names like double this, initials you know yeah. yeah so so how are we gonna do it we'll just have bruce who's a longtime crime fighter just make a joke about it and you know what it's okay that bruce made the joke again because he was a longtime crime fighter if terry would have made the joke it could turn fans off from him because they'd be like that little snot-nosed punk he what, what's he doing in batman's suit because <laughs> some people may still feel that way even though we're literally we're almost done with the second season yeah well we're we're almost done with batman beyond if you think about it there's only i think 13 or 14 episodes of batman beyond left not counting return of the joker yeah. we are a hair's breadth from being done with this show but people are still not going to be accepting of this character because for a lot of people there's only one batman so i think it was a smart move to have the old timer so to speak or not even so to speak literally say that line because it softened the blow and it makes it really uh I don't know. There's more humor behind it when Bruce says oh, yeah. it. Another great line. Was that Batman dumpster diving? Bella's got to eat. Yeah. <laughs> oh, God. Why is my score going up? Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, I love this. I every time you rattle a line off, it keeps going up. And, and again, I brought it up earlier. The animation. I love the animation on this one all around. Yep. Um, I like the egg baby. You know, we spoke about that a second ago. I love the design of Ma Mayhem. Um, because she really did look formidable. She just wasn't, you know, some fat old woman in kind of a classic style dress. You know, (laughs) whatever she was, (laughs) you know, you you understood that if you got in her way or hurt her boys, she's going to kick your ass. Um, I I liked the design of her two sons. I liked, uh, the, the, the one son's weaponry, uh, that kind of gun. What did that gun shoot? I don't even know what it was shooting. Kind of but it was shooting some uh, goop that dissolved clothing or something. Yeah, yeah, I, I like that. I and mean, just, just overall, it looked good. It really did. Um, 
And again, I'm saying it. My score is going up. Son of a bitch. Oh, we were giggling about it during your synopsis, and we'd be remiss if we didn't get back to it. We have to talk about Nelson and Max. Oh, yeah. That was just priceless. Mm-hmm. Max just flat out says what they're doing, and he's like, well, you know, we're going to be – we figure we'd be the, the classic relationship, one breadwinner, one homemaker. And basically what, what it amounts to is Nelson is taking care of the baby for the entire assignment, and – Max is doing Nelson's homework for him. <laughs> yeah, because what did uh, what did Max say there that they were playing to their strengths or something like that? Yeah, something like that. She, she made a gag. I don't quite remember what the line was, but it was so funny. And what I loved is that Nelson, who up to this point has always been just a douchebag jock that gets in Terry's face for no good reason, is like a really good father. <laughs> You know, he's telling McGinnis how to take care of his baby and, you know, you got to burp it, you know. Uh, and I think the only time he flubbed was when he was trying to feed it. And he's like, why isn't it eating? It's hungry. I know it's hungry. And I think McGinnis was like, it's because you, you've got the bottle in its nose, yeah. you know. And then, and, you could, and then there's another great facial expression with the egg baby, like with that frown on his face because the bottle's in its nose. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, so just seeing Nelson really softened and uh, just played the complete opposite that we're used to seeing him, uh, you know, that, that, and it, damn it, damn it, damn it. Oh, <laughs> just I'm accept you, it already, this, man. <laughs> I don't want to. <laughs> I have to mention this. Terry can stop two trucks going in opposite directions at the same time with his arms, but he struggles to keep Mom Mayhem from plummeting to her death. Um, 400 pounds plus inertia? I don't know. <laughs> well, you got the op- inertia of two trucks going the opposite directions, <laughs> ripping at your shoulders, so... <laughs> yeah, I thought it was pretty funny, if nothing else. it was. I'm not even, like, counting off for it. I just think it's really funny. They're just... Maybe they're saying that Mom Mayhem weighs uh, a, a ton, a metric ton. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> uh, you got a point there. <laughs> <laughs> I guess I, I have to go back to um, Dana. She wants Terry's babies. <laughs> Twice yeah. in this episode, they, they just <laughs> facial expressions. She shows that she wants to have some sex and she wants to get pregnant. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and that's a little disappointing if you want the truth, because we barely get Dana to begin with in this show. And I don't just mean this episode. I mean the show in general. Mm -hmm. I've said it before. In the few episodes she's been in, we've seen more of Max than we have of Dana. And Dana's been in more episodes, technically speaking. Mm -hmm. Okay? It's just Max has gotten more screen time in the episode she's been in. So now, when we get Dana, she hems and haws, and whether she wants to be with Terry or not, Terry treats her like a piece of garbage. He really does. He does care for her, but he's ditching her left and right. And then, when they try to give her a little characterization, what characterization do they give her? I want to be a mommy! That, mm, I just, I hate that. I hate that. I <laughs> Give her more than that. Um, but that said, I did like... I did like the facial expression they drew on her when she looked at Terry. Like, hey, later tonight. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no need for condoms. <laughs> well, if, if, if Dana wants to be safe, because Lord knows where Terry's been. <laughs> it was about six months ago that I met Harold. That's what he called himself back then. Not bullwhip. I'd done a wrist replacement for him, but he wanted more. You know, Doc, when it comes to mixing flesh and metal, you're a genius. You could probably do things other doctors never even dream of. I'm serious. You could use your prosthetics to make people stronger, faster, more dangerous. 
Are you saying what I think you're saying? With the right partners, you could get very rich. Not interested. I've already got everything I want. Everything. About a week later, I came back late from an emergency call. April? April? April! April! Hiya, Doc. Still think you've got everything? Next up is April Moon. This one starts out with four uh, would-be gangbangers, we'll call them, thieves, whatever, uh, getting out of their car, and they're standing in front of a jewelry store or a bank or something, and they're talking about how they, uh, this is going to be their night to make a name for themselves. And uh, one of them's got, you know, the jitters, but the, the leader of the gang, he calms him down. He says, you know what? No, 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 no. Don't worry. We're all good. We've been enhanced. And you're like, well, what's going on? And uh, the leader of the gang, he, uh, he's got these things on his wrist that look like Spider-Man's web shooters, but these bullwhips come out of them. And he reveals that his name is no longer whatever his name was. It's now Bullwhip. And he, he slashes at the alarm. And another one of the guys, uh, he takes off his coat and I think his shirt too, and this this full suit of armor kind of comes out of his back, and he like smashes through the door. And then the other guy, he walks up to the vault, and saw blades come out of his wrists and his kneecaps, and he's able to cut down uh, the door to the vault. And the fourth guy, the one who had the jitters, he's still just standing there. He's sort of lookout. Uh, just in case Batman or the cops happen to show up. Well, these guys, they start robbing this place, whatever it is, blind. And, uh, of course, Batman does show up. Batman starts kicking the crap out of all these guys. But uh, the, the the guy who was serving as lookout, it turns out he's enhanced, too. He's got basically... His power changes throughout the episode. At first, it looks like he has just sort of like these big... Um, almost like anvils, I don't know what to call them, pile drivers or something as hands, but later on they become just giant gauntlet hands. And But whatever they are, he's able to sneak up behind Batman and just clobbers him, and that one blow uh, allows the gang to get the upper hand on him, and they just start beating the shit out of Batman. He's out cold. They're able to escape with their loot. They're laughing their ass off, and they're figuring, you know what? We took down Batman. That means no one. No one can stop us. Gotham City is ours. But in the process of this fight, uh, the guy with the saw blades for kneecaps, he fell down and one of those uh, saw blades broke, uh, breaking off one of the servos. Terry grabs it and he brings it back to Bruce and he says, Bruce, this looks like one of the servos in my costume. And Bruce says, it doesn't look like it. It's identical to it. And Bruce is able to figure out that whoever it was that made these uh, enhancements for these young men is the same guy that Bruce first commissioned the Batman Beyond suit from all those decades ago. So Terry goes to pay that guy a visit. Uh, the gang shows up there at his at his uh, apartment or whatever real late at night, and uh, it turns out that he's helping them under uh, duress. Uh, they have uh, basically abducted uh, Dr. Corso's wife, and if he, uh, the doctor does not continue to upgrade them and make them better, faster, and stronger. Haha. <laughs> Sorry, I had to get that in. Because, um, <laughs> hell, they almost got the line in there themselves, but they stopped short on that one. Mm -hmm. Anyways, um, 
what do you call it, that if, if he doesn't continue to upgrade them, they are going to do bad, 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 nasty things to his wife, who happens to be called April. So uh, he's like, fine, whatever, just get out of my apartment, I'll fix you guys up. Uh, oh, no, no, he, that's right, no, because they, they, they don't just show up to harass him, they show up because the guy with the saw blade arms and knees uh, needs to get fixed. So yeah, the doctor fixes him. And that's when they all go on their merry way. After they're gone, Batman shows up and he's like, hey, why, why'd you do it, Doc? Why'd you go bad? And the doctor's like, well, it's a long story. And he gets the jump on Terry and injects him with some sedative. Uh, while Terry is out, the doctor uh, cleans out his lab in his entire apartment and relocates to some warehouse or something. Uh, Terry and Max which was a rather odd cameo, I might add, are actually able to track the doctor down by tricking him into uh, visiting uh, a patient in need. Because this guy, he still wants to be a good doctor that's out there helping uh, victims who have lost their uh, limbs. Uh, so they say, hey, uh, I've lost, you know, they call up and they say, you know, I've, I've lost my legs in this accident. Can you come to this very seedy motel? And... Uh, uh, fix me up. So the doctor's like, sure. Of course, it's Batman that's there. The doctor tells him his whole story, which I've already outlined. And uh, at the end of the story, the doctor reveals that he did implant a failsafe into these four guys' uh, machinery, but he doesn't want Batman to use it. So he's not going to tell Batman what that failsafe is because he's afraid that Batman will mount a rescue attempt to save April, and in doing so, she would get harmed or killed. Uh, so uh, the goons happen to overhear this. They're just outside the door. They burst in, and the doctor turns on Terry, turns on Batman, and he says, oh, I'm glad you guys showed up. Batman, uh, this was all his idea. Yeah, 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 I didn't have anything to do with this. And the goons are like, yeah, whatever. So the doctor is able to escape. There's another fight. Uh, the goons get away, but uh, Batman actually let them get away because he put a homing device on their vehicle or something. He follows them in the Batmobile. He shows up at their warehouse or abandoned building or whatever hideout, and uh, he's he's about to mount this rescue to save April, to save the doctor's wife, when uh, it turns out the doctor is there too, and the doctor's like, I knew you'd come here. Don't do this. And uh, Terry's like, no, I have to. And when they're both looking up at the window, they see April in collusion with the gang. This completely blows the doctor's mind. He just goes apeshit. Literally, he, he starts flinging poo. That's how apeshit he went. So Terry's like, shut up. They're going to hear you. Of course, they do hear him. Terry uh, throws the, the doctor into like a cellar or something. Uh, he disappears from that point. We don't see him anymore, uh, at least during the fight. Uh, while this fight's going on, uh, Batman gets uh, knocked out. And the guy with the saw blades is literally about to decapitate Batman when the failsafe code dawns on Terry. It is April Moon. April being the name of the doctor's wife, Moon being in the background of the picture that the doctor had on his desk. And it isn't that abstract. It actually is mentioned earlier that the song April Moon is their favorite song. It was their song. So it all clicks in Terry's head. He says April Moon to three of the four guys, uh, the three being uh, Terrapin, Nux, and Knee Jerk. They're never named. I actually had to get that from the mm -hmm. credits. Their uh, parts fall off. In the case of the one I'm assuming is Knee Jerk, his limbs fall off. That was awesome. <laughs> 
Yes, but we'll get to that in a second. <laughs> um, Bullwhip is able to run away. So, uh, you know, we're thinking, oh, he'll come back. You know, these three guys, they're, they're done for because their machines have just been completely destroyed. But, you know, Bullwhip, oh, yeah, 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 he's definitely going to come back. Well, you know, we see Terry talking to Bruce in the upstairs of the mansion. And Terry's saying, look, I'm sorry, I didn't really look for the doctor, but my heart just wasn't into it. You know, he's feeling bad for the guy. The guy just found out that his wife was in on this whole scheme this this entire time. Uh, so he's like, I'm just, I'm just going to let the guy go. He didn't want to do any of this anyways. Um, and he also apologizes for not finding Bullwhip. And Bruce is like, ah, he'll be back. They always come back. And then Bruce has a thought. He goes, wait a minute. Does Bullwhip know that the doctor saw him with the doctor's wife? And Terry's like, no, I don't think so. I threw him into the cellar before, you know, he, he got found out. And Bruce goes, you know what? Maybe we won't see Bullwhip ever again. Then we cut to the doctor's laboratory where Bullwhip is strapped down, willingly strapped down. And he's saying, Doc, you know, you got to upgrade me. All my guys, they're out of commission, but you can make me super strong. I'll be unstoppable. Don't hold back. The doctor, with a drill in one hand and a gas mask in the other, says, don't hold back. As he starts to put the mask down on Bullwhip, he goes, Something along the lines of, don't worry, I won't. And the closing image is everything fading because Bullwhip is being gassed out and the drill <laughs> coming towards us slash Bullwhip. <laughs> wow! Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, I, I got to tell you, to me, this episode was a lot like that South Park episode. Um, what's the title? Scott Tennerman Must Die? Yeah. Where... Okay, I had heard all the hype about that episode of South Park, uh -huh. and I was like, when I sat down to watch it, I was like, this isn't that good. I, I didn't understand why it was supposed to be the, like the best episode of South Park ever. And then you get to the last two minutes of that episode, and it's like, you just can't believe that Cartman actually did that you then at that moment understand why that's considered the best episode ever because everything that happened in that episode was leading up to that exact moment. Yep. You just had to trust in the producers of the episode that they knew what they were doing and there was going to be a big payoff. And there was. And the same exact thing happened here. I thought the payoff was going to be knee-jerk falling apart. When we got to that, I literally wrote in my notes, gah, his limbs fell off equals plus one. <laughs> Meaning that got an extra point right there. And then we get to the ending, and it's like, no, Knee Jerk's falling apart wasn't the payoff. The payoff was Bullwhip's murder at the hands of the doctor. <laughs> and so, again, I wrote ending with drill equals plus one. <laughs> so, so this episode got a, at least two extra points based on the mature, frankly, brutality that they added into this one. This seriously would have been just an average episode if it didn't have that payoff. But because it did, wow, oh my god, I'm so stoked about this one. Yeah, I mean, you've made the perfect analogy with Scott Tennerman must die. Because I liked this episode you know, anyway up to that point. It wasn't like, oh my god, this is amazing. Um, mm. I, was, I was digging the fight sequences. I thought they were great. Uh, I love the jazz music. Yes, the music is excellent. Oh yes, one. and... Um, yeah, of course, knee-jerk falling apart there was great. And the thing is, I suppose I should have seen it coming that April was a cheating whore, 
but I wanted to believe that this would turn out to be a happy ending for the Doctor. But that said, I will gladly take the ending we got because it was just so fucking cool. <laughs> when I saw Bullwhip laying down on there, I was like, oh my god, they're actually going to do this. I didn't know what we were going to see, but I knew we were going to get something. Because I really thought it was going to end with just Bruce and Terry saying, oh, he'll be back. Don't worry Me about too. it. Yep. And then when Bruce is like, no, maybe he's not. I'm like, oh, is that how they're going to end it? No, we've just gone back to the lab. What? What? Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> Again, I, I didn't know exactly what they were going to show. I thought it was going to be toned down where maybe we see, I don't know, a counter of instruments and you could think that maybe the doctor got cold feet because he never actually picks one up. But no, drill in hand, gas mask in the other, drill coming right at Bullwhip, i.e. us, because we're getting it from Bullwhip's point of view. Mm-hmm. Um, and and as, as you said, um, you know, getting away from this one moment, because the episode, of course, is more than that one moment. Um, the music in this is just from top to bottom stellar. Superb. It's got those jazz tones that we got used to in Batman the Animated Series. Mm-hmm. Um, that we don't hear much of in the sort of rock-influenced Batman the Beyond. Rock techno era. Um, right. I don't know why they went with jazz music for this one, because I got to tell you, like, if I would have seen this script and, you know, it was my job to score it, I wouldn't have thought jazz. Why would you? Right, exactly. But somehow that jazz music works with this story. It should not work with the story, but it does. Mm-hmm. This is one of those ones where I really could just watch it over and over and over again. I don't think it's a perfect 10, but I would still sit down and watch Almost Got Him and then this one, back to back, over and over. Mm-hmm. I really, the only thing that I have, the like, problem that I have with this episode, and this is what I was saying earlier, I had an animation note. I thought the animation in this episode, for as good as it was, I think generally, at times it got kind of, you know, for lack of a better word, cartoony. Like, when, when mm-hmm. Nux hits, or Nux and Terrapin were bashing Terry's face in, his mouth increases in size to the proportions of an anime character scarfing food down. This wasn't so anime-influenced like the one um, from a couple episodes ago, where Terry helped out that little girl and he had that psychic fight with that guy. Oh, yeah. You know, it wasn't like that, but there were just little hints of it. Like you said, when Terry was getting hit, and that was a little weird for an episode that didn't need that kind of over-exaggeration. I have to wonder why it was there, why they signed off on that, why they storyboarded it that way. Um, I don't think it, you know, it hurts the episode, but you do look at it and it still feels uh, a bit out of place. Mm-hmm. I, I, I noticed another flub, the uh, operation that uh, Terry claims he needs is supposed to take place at the West End Inn. But there's one shot when everybody's uh, piling out of the building after the big fight in there where the sign changed from West End in to West Any Din. The I in in and the D at the end of end got transposed. I did not even notice so that. So it's E-N-I, D-N-N. It's, it's a blink and you miss it thing. I just happened to not blink at that exact moment. Wow. I, I, I got lucky and I caught it. And the next time we see the sign, the I and the D are in their proper place. It's if you if you ever go back to this one, uh, it's it's kind of this tilted shot, and it's it's when they're all coming out of the building. So just just look for that moment, and, and you'll surely see it. Yeah. And I, I would also like to say with this one, I thought 
the the knee saw blades was a bit much. Yeah, I, that's my other question. Is like, what possible use could you have for that? Yeah, I mean, I understand having the ones coming coming out of the wrist. You know, that's sort of Wolverine-ish. Okay, I get that. But the knees, I, I don't know. It just, it just seemed excessive, really. But then again, I guess if you're a young thug and you're trying to enhance yourself and you blackmail some guy into doing it, go all out, I guess, Shit. you know? <laughs> it just seems like it would backfire on you at some point, like it did twice. And it did, because, yeah, I mean, he fell down and it broke. So anytime he falls down, those things are going to snap because it snapped rather easily. I really do believe what happened was is that they came up with the image of him falling apart at the end, and they decided that means he had to have been uh, completely without limbs. No legs, no arms. So they said, okay, that means all, his arms and his legs are robotic. So if we're going to give him these, you know, saw blade arm things, let's give him saw blade knee things too. Yeah, that's, that's the only way I can understand what they were going for. <laughs> I severed the computer link when I lost contact with you. Did you get all the files? Uh-huh. And every one of Payback's attacks is linked to Kids of the Center. Each victim was a patient's parent, teacher, boss. The people kids gripe about. So Payback's attacking whoever gets ratted on in that room. But these patients aren't all in one group. So our suspect has to be someone who has access to every session. I'm so ahead of you. Bring up a guy named Howard Lewis. The center keeps vid disks of the sessions. And this guy's a librarian. He's got the access. But what about a motive? He acts like a kid himself. Maybe he's decided to be their protector. Why rule out Dr. Stanton? He's got access, too. You taught me to follow my gut. Be careful. Your gut's still young. And lastly of today is Payback. And this one, it starts off with this department store. And uh, the manager there is forcing one of his... Uh, workers, a high school kid named Drew, to uh, stay and work more hours, pretty much against his will. Um, and so suddenly this tall guy wearing an executioner robe type thing, uh, called calling himself Payback, walks in and tries to kill the manager for treating his young workers like garbage. <laughs> yeah, that's, yeah, yeah, that's, it is what it is. And so, so anyway, right. Batman flies in and battles the guy and eventually Payback escapes. Well, Terry and Bruce discuss the guy, and I can't remember how it comes about, but Terry decides to attend a group therapy session thing. Oh, it's because Bruce is doing some detective work, and it's revealed that this wasn't Payback's first assault. It's, it's established that he's been doing this for a little while now, and Bruce starts connecting that all of these kids, like two of the kids, not all of them, but two of the kids. No, oh yeah, I think it was all of the kids, yeah. Um, that have been saved by Payback all attend this, like, group oh, meeting. Okay. So there has to be a connection there. So, yeah, Terry decides to go to attend that group session to get some clues or whatnot, and uh, he uh, he starts walking around with the head doctor of the facility, and they come to this room where this really tall guy is playing uh, with the doctor's son in some kind of virtual reality game. Well, Terry is immediately convinced that the guy is Payback, so when he finally loses the doctor later, he goes to a nearby computer to transfer information from the place to the back computer. Well, somebody knocks out Terry from behind, and later he wakes up, and the tall guy and the doctor ask him what happened and why he was in that room. Well, Terry bullshits them and manages to convince them or something, and 
Later in the cave, Bruce and Terry discuss the place, and Terry, again, he's convinced that the tall guy, Howard, is payback. Well, he flies back off to the place as Batman and gets into a fight with Howard, but it turns out that Payback is out on a bridge in downtown Gotham terrorizing someone else. So he apologizes to the guy, sort of, and goes off and saves the people in the car on the bridge from plunging to their deaths. And he confronts Payback in a forest, and Payback, with his laser whip thing, accidentally ends up starting a fire, and he's startled by this and runs away. So Batman puts out the fire, but later Bruce just reams Terry for jumping the gun and hurting an innocent person and says that they're going to be doing it his way from now on. So Terry goes back to the therapy group and just bitches about Bruce never being happy with his hard work and everything. And this, of course, is being recorded onto these vid discs like every other kid that goes to this place. So anyway, the next or that night, Bruce is attending the opening of the latest Vreeland family buildings and... This yeah, this time a hotel, and while he's there, he's attacked by Payback in an elevator. So Terry intervenes and saves Bruce and ends up kind of sort of stopping Payback, but not really because Payback ends up causing himself to fall off the 20th floor or so of the hotel. And uh, it's, Payback is revealed to be the son of the doctor, the little 10-year-old, and it's assumed that he was payback because he wanted to solve his father's patient's problems so he could actually spend time with his father. So <laughs> Bruce and Terry leave, but as they're leaving, Bruce asks Terry what he said in that therapy session to get payback so angry uh, at, at Bruce, noting that it must have been some kind of performance. Well, Terry says, who said anything about performing, which Bruce <laughs> is kind of taken aback by. What I want to say about this one is the child's thinking seemed true, if you want my honest opinion. The whole idea that if I solve daddy's problems, excuse me, or if I solve, I should say, if I solve daddy's patient's problems, he then won't have to spend time with them and he can spend time with me. I don't know. That seemed like something I could see a child thinking in their own way. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, it wasn't an overly complex scheme that he came up with. It's, I want to spend time with daddy. How can I do that? Well, I'm going to help these kids. And I like the fact that he was helping the kids too, because it could have went the other way. It could have been, well, I'm going to hurt the kids and then they can't come to session. But no, he is actually out to help kids. So he's trying to honestly do some good and spend time with his dad in the long run. And it just backfires in his face. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I'm just this episode is just kind of average for me. It was, it was, it wasn't one that I really had a lot of fun watching. Um, I thought Payback's costume was badass. It was sort of like the Mask of the Phantasm costume taken to the next yeah. level. Uh, just like Matt Phantasm Beyond. Mm, yeah, pretty much so. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and you know, I did like that that little hint that they gave to Payback's identity with when he started the fire in the forest and he was running away from it. Because, mm-hmm. you know, you think about it, what little kid isn't afraid of starting a fire? And, you know, if they accidentally do start a fire, they're just, they sh- they're scared shitless. They don't know what to do, so they just mm-hmm. run. So I thought that was kind of neat that, that, that they threw that in there. I also liked, uh, you have no idea what my nightmares are like. Oh, that was a genius exchange. Mm-hmm. And I, I love seeing old man Bruce still being a badass because he's standing in that elevator all that shit starts happening. Everybody in the elevator is panicking. They're moving to the sides, trying to get out of the way of the piece of metal of the roof that's about to fall down. Bruce does not budge. Nope. 
and he just stares this son of a bitch in the face. You know, and that guy's trying to banter with Bruce, and Bruce is not having it. He's just being full-on Batman, just without the mask. <laughs> oh, it was so good. I, I really want an old man Bruce show. Get rid of Terry. Dump Max. You know, get rid of all that. Just Let's just have old man yeah. Bruce. Did they ever explain how the Doctor's son got that suit? We know how he got the laser whip, because uh, it was used to right. make those statues that Howard was making. But I never... They never really explained how he got the suit. Yeah, if I recall, when we meet the son, there's a throwaway line that's something like, he's a genius in his own right, or he's very bright, or something like that. But I I, I could be wrong, but I'm 99% sure that's in there. I like what this episode was doing in setting up, really, only two possibilities Mm -hmm. as to who payback could be that was the doctor who doesn't have the right physical frame but it could still be him or uh the the guard what, what was it not the guard the, li- the librarian oh. howard yeah because that's what he was he was a librarian right yeah so yeah i really liked that they set it up as being those two and then out of the blue it ends up being the little kid but it still made sense because as you said the way he was reacting to things um but in all honesty I didn't think it was going to be the kid in a robotic suit. I thought it was going to be the kid controlling some sort of robot. Because when we first see him, he's playing a virtual reality video mm-hmm. game. So I thought, oh, okay, maybe he's adapted the technology to control, I don't know, some robot he's got in his hands on. I don't even know how you know he got the robot, just like I don't know where he got the suit. But that's where I thought they were going. And then they didn't go there, so I just accepted that... He, he built it, or I don't know. I don't well, I'm know. I'm glad they didn't because that would have been way too much like Willie. Oh yeah, with the with the mm-hmm. golem. Yeah. yeah, I should say that for all the praise I'm giving this episode, I don't think it's great. You know, I, I think it's a little better than average. Um, like I said, I, I like the red herrings. Um, I like the kids' reasoning. I like Bruce being Bruce, but this is another one that. I just felt didn't have the tension it should have had. Until the very, very end with Centauri. Yeah, that that's it. And I, I, I don't know. It's like when this show started, all the episodes had that X factor that made them great, you know? And as we've gotten further along, even the ones that are average or a little above average, you know, they're still watchable, but they're missing something. And it makes me sad. Um, I will say, though, that there was a bit of background dialogue, and I don't know if you picked up on this, that literally made me laugh out loud. After Payback has destroyed the elevator, and uh, he lets everybody out of the elevator just so he can assassinate Bruce, one of the characters says, no more charity events, they're too dangerous. (laughs) (laughs) Ain't that the truth. Yeah, it's like, you know what? That guy's got a point. When you think about it, you can't go to a charity event in Gotham without having someone plant a bomb or Joker gas you or put a riddle in your face. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. I think the only other note I have is, and this is just from the very beginning of the episode, I mean, they've already established that all this, you know, in the Gotham future, they do money with credits, uh, credit cards, but there was regular cash in the cash register. Oh, yeah, there was, wasn't there? Yeah, I just thought it was kind of weird. It's not something I'm counting the episode off for or anything. Huh, nice nice catch there. Because it's something I saw, but it didn't register. 
No pun intended. <laughs> and this is this is actually something I have to count off the episode for. When Terry is fighting Howard, and he looks on the TV, and he sees Payback, he's pounding on the roof of that car. If he's got this laser whip, why doesn't he just slice the roof of the car off? Can you chalk it up to him being a kid? I don't, I don't know. I, and, and not thinking straight? I don't not, know. You know, Not I, really, beca- not really because point. he does it repeatedly. He repeatedly pounds on it. It's like he pounds <laughs> it on the TV, and then later on, he's still pounding on it. Come on. He's been flinging that laser whip around like nobody's business, and now he's not. Why? Okay, I guess I can give you that. <laughs> anyway, but yes, that is my last note. Okay, do you just want to get to our scores then? Yeah, let's do that. Okay, sneak peek. What do you want to give this one? This one, I don't know if I want to grade it down the middle or give it an extra point like to make it slightly above average, but no, I'm going to stick with a five. That one is going to get a four from me. So how about Plague? Plague, I will give a six. That one is going to get a five. Uh-oh, the egg baby. <laughs> <laughs> this one gets a nine. A nine? Are you kidding me? Fuck no, I'm not kidding. That episode was hilarious. Wow, okay. I it's, scored- a, it's the Mixies pixelated of Batman <laughs> Beyond. There you go. That's That's what I'm going to declare it. You know... Originally, I gave this one a four, and throughout the course of our discussion, I've boosted this up to a six. Is that too high? Is that too low? I don't know at this point. All I know for sure is that when we do our Batman Beyond revisit, I'll be talking about this one again. Anyways, April Moon. For completely different reasons, this one also gets a nine. That one is going to get an eight from me. And Payback. Uh, Payback, I'll give a four. That one gets a six. And when I went back to the cellar, the doctor was gone. I guess I should have spent more time looking for him, but my heart wasn't in it. I understand. What about April and Bullwhip? Gone, too. Both of them. They'll be back. They always come back. Tell me something, though. Does Bullwhip know that the doctor saw him with April? No way. By the time he came out of the townhouse, I'd already put the doctor in the cellar. Then maybe Bullwhip won't be coming back. Why do you say that? I sure am glad you didn't leave town, Doc. I couldn't. Oh yeah, April. Don't worry. She's doing fine. Can't wait to see you again. Uh-huh. You do this one last thing for me, and she's all yours. Uh-huh. But don't just repair me. Make me stronger. Less vulnerable, too. And don't hold back. Understand? I understand. No holding back. Feedback in the form of emails and MP3s can be sent to feedback at worldsfinestpodcast.com. That's feedback at worldsfinestpodcast.com. Next time on World's Finest Podcast, we'll discuss five more episodes from Batman Beyond. Those being Centuries of the Last Cosmos, Big Time, Untouchable, Where's Terry, and Ace in the Hole. For James Doe, I'm Michael David Sims saying thank you for listening to World's Finest Podcast. Thank you.